The Mud Peddlers, a podcast where two nerdy ceramic artists share the behind the scenes of their worlds of clay. We're your hosts, Lindsay M. Dillon. And I am Dante of Earth Nation. Hey guys, so just want to let y'all know that this week we're doing something a little bit different. Dante and I have done sort of a co-interviewing with our friends Ryan and Becca from Wheel Talk Podcast. So what follows is that interview. If you want to hear the full interview, you can go to Ryan and Becca's podcast again, Wheel Talk, and listen to the full episode. I have edited a slightly shorter version, and if you want to listen to that, then carry on. And uh, we hope you guys like the episode. And if you see so fit, go ahead and leave them a review on their podcast as well. But thank you guys. We appreciate you. We love you. Stay safe. Stay warm and well fed. Gang, gang. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to welcome to Wheel Talk. We are interviewing and kind of cross-chatting uh, uh, with friends of ours from the Mud Peddlers. So welcome to Lindsay and Dante from the Mud Peddlers. And Becca's here as well. So this will be kind of an interesting foursome interview with all of us. So do you want to just start off with just introducing yourselves and kind of what you do in clay and maybe uh, who you are? Oh, Lindy, yeah. tell, tell them how fantastic you are. Uh, okay, well, no. <laughs> if I must. So my name's Lindsay M. Dillon, and uh, I'm a ceramic artist, primarily making nerdy mugs and creature sculptures. I started working in clay in 2007, didn't really do it a whole lot in college, came back to it around 2013. And I've been doing it full-time since January of 2020, but basically full-time since like 2018. So yeah, so Dante, why don't you go ahead? So long time ago, the government made me angry and I decided to start a YouTube channel, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and it's become well-known enough for me to be kind of a supplemental thing for other people's teaching or journey throughout art and ceramic artwork. And at the moment, I think we're at 50k subscribers on YouTube. We started the Mud mm. Peddlers podcast, mm -hmm. right? It's really like I bugged Lindsay to start it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It was Pretty like much. over the course of like three weeks, I was like, Lindsay, we should start a podcast. It's COVID time. And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, you gotta. And she's like, I don't know. And then like every week, the you gotta got more intense. Where I was like, uh -huh. you gotta. And then, and then I was like, yeah. And then finally she was like, I can't take it anymore. I'm just going to start. And now we're kind of here with you guys. Other than that, I'm just, I'm more of a, I guess you would say a traditional wheel thrown ceramic artist. I make a lot of functional art. Whenever I don't make functional art, it's usually decorative vases, things of that nature. I haven't competed in quite some time simply because of COVID. Where are you going to compete? Mm. You know what I mean? Unless you want to send your pieces overseas, which you don't. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, thanks. Um, and other than that, I'm just kind of riding this train and trying to be people's like academic uh, supplements to their ceramic art journey. I have videos on like what your first wheel, what your first kiln, centering. I have glaze recipes out there. I use a lot of glazy. I'm more of a resource than anything at this point. Did you sh do you share what you what you do full time, Dante? I don't know if you share that or if people know what you do full-time. Full-time, like my nine to five, is that I'm technically a cook slash chef. I always like to be realistic in saying that, like, I'm not like a, mmm, chef, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, like, if I were to compare myself to other real chefs in the world, I would say, like, think of a car mechanic and then think of, like, Jiffy Lube. Like, the guy at Jiffy Lube technically is a car mechanic, <laughs> but he's not, like, replacing your whole engine. Like, uh. I'm that level of chef. 
but my nine to five, I technically am a professional chef, technically. Mm. Wow. But you basically put in full-time ceramics in addition to your nine to five. Oh yeah, no, I, I absolutely made a deal with like an entity <laughs> and he was like, at 50, you're going to die. And I was like, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. And he was like, cool. Now I don't have to sleep anymore. <laughs> for our Mud Peddlers listeners who may not know you guys, care to introduce yourselves? My name is Becca Otis, and I, well, right now I do full-time production pottery for Graves Co. Pottery and in Indianapolis, but previously I owned a paint-your-own pottery slash teaching slash production studio in Monroe, Washington, and that's been going on for, let's see, I owned the store for three years, and I was doing full-time since 2014, I think, so I've been doing full-time for probably seven years, uh, pottery, and yeah. And myself, I've been selling pottery since 2016 on the side. I'm a full-time website developer. I went to college, majored in IT locally here in Northern Kentucky, and then minored in ceramics because I always kind of had that itch for clay and I knew I didn't want to like do this I was not confident in the stability of going out of college with that degree and like saying I'm going to do it as an artist so I went with the IT route you know it pays well and then I do the ceramics on the side so the goal is to do it full-time someday I'm kind of working my way toward that but yeah just kind of doing the the side thing and sharing through social media a lot try to uh, share as much business acumen and like stuff that I have interest in because you know that's kind of lacking in a lot of what you learn you learn a lot of technique and you learn a lot about like form and all that stuff that's really important and then you know the art the selling of it and the marketing and the business part is kind of secondary and like that's what I care about a lot and I care about very analytical and systems and stuff so that's kind of what I try to share and what I think Becca and I kind of strive to share a lot more about totally because that's what we what we really love so you just hit the nail on the head kind of with like that economic side of like pottery and selling your own work. John the Potter had talked about it when we talked to him Mm -hmm. when he was like, I see a lot of people making fantastic work, but they don't talk too much about how to sell it and get it out there and how to really advertise themselves. And I'm glad that we have another person who's thinking that way as well. Cause like, I don't. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I just like make and whoever buys buys, I guess. I, I was, again, when I was preparing for this, I was listening to a few of your guys' episodes and particularly the last Q and A that you guys did on uh, social media. I was just like wrapped listening, just like, oh my gosh, it's so nice to hear other ceramic artists like really go into detail about that kind of stuff. Because again, I think that's like when I do have the chance to get on my soapbox, that's one of my soapboxes is that frustration of like the stereotype of the starving artist. It doesn't have to be true, but part of the reason that I feel like it is a stereotype is because the business knowledge that is integral to not being a starving artist is not included in the arts education. And so I think it's really cool that you guys are contributing to educating folks. There's no shortage of knowledge to know in like the technical side too. Like there's so much you need to know and how to mm-hmm. do the process of clay because there's so many steps along the way and there's there's just so much knowledge out there and like like myths out there and then there's like, you know, you learn from doing and then there's asking people that have done it and like found success with certain parts of the process and then marketing and selling it. it's its own other thing. Especially with the algorithm at the moment is just like crazy. Yeah. And unless you play it, it's uh, it's difficult to like start advertising yourself 
that's actually that was the third episode we did of social media i feel like we were tired of it by that point but i mean there's no shortage of social media questions that people ask and like our experiences of running our social media accounts is only one facet of like what you know so yeah, Becca, it seems like you've really been taking off on uh, TikTok from what I saw. Like, you have, like, something like 100,000 followers or something like that. Is that right? Oh, you be TikToking? Yeah, no, I have about 200,000 followers on TikTok, and it was a complete fluke. Total fluke. Like, I shared, like, a plate hack that you can use with a um, a PVC pipe, and I it got, like, 8 to, like, 9 million views, and then that just kind of, like, took me off. Holy oh, shit. Yeah, ridiculous. I'm like an ultra introvert, which nobody really knows, but I am. And then I was also going through like my business closing and then moving to Indianapolis. And so I kind of like dropped it. So now I <laughs> now I still have 200,000 followers, but I have like every video is like, meh, like 2,000 views. So I don't like, I don't worry about it too much. Like I'm on the completely opposite spectrum. Like I could care, I could give like two shits about about social media. I've been very fortunate in the, in the sense that I, I don't know. I'm very transparent. So my customer base is like small but mighty. <laughs> and, and so that's been, that's been really helpful for me. And so having like so many people on TikTok, it's kind of like, they're amazing though. Like the thing about TikTok, which I was so con- like, so just blown away by is that they're so willing to support and they're like, they're willing to give you all of their money, you know? And I'm, (laughs) I'm like, not, I'm not a seller. So saying like, Hey, here's my PayPal, like send me money. I'm like, and like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Um, but I, I am part of the creator fund. Wait, so like, so the people on TikTok are eager to send you money? Yes. Like the, the followers, they're like, they're like, how can we support you? Yeah. They're like, how can we support you? We love you, blah, blah, you know? And it's like, it's great. And like the support is awesome, but it's also like this weird fine line of like, uh, I don't really want to ask you for things. Uh, here's Mm -hmm. my product. You know, you're not like a create, like you are a creator, like I'm teaching, you know, I do the same stuff, like how to center, how to, what kilns to buy, how to change a thermocouple, like all those things. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's just so weird. But TikTok has a creator fund and I've, I haven't made very much, but I mean like, I mean like I paid for my cell phone with it. So I, I made like 800 bucks, 900 bucks. Nice. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, you were saying it was live videos and stuff, right? They watch your live and they can like throw you a few cents and stuff. Yeah, yeah. For doing nothing, it's great. Like, yeah. So you can do live videos and they can like gift you things. They can gift you money essentially, and you have to have a thousand followers. Oh, kind of like on Twitch. Yeah, Twitch has it, YouTube has it, and TikTok has it. Oh, okay. They're just called super subscribers on YouTube, um... and they're called Twitch subs on Twitch. I don't know what they call them on TikTok. Yeah, and when I was doing lives, like, before I left and before... Because it really did just completely drop off to a dead end once I left Washington. Because I just stopped posting stuff. Uh, When I was doing lives before that, it was, you know, 100, 150, 200 people on the live at a time. And we'd just be throwing pots and talking, and I'd play my Spotify playlist and chill out. And that's kind of how we started kind of getting into the back and forth with Becca and I. We would do IG lives on Instagram. And then that's where we would kind of talk all these kind of topics that morphed into mm-hmm. wheel talk. Oh, I see. That makes that's sense. That's so cool. And then we were like, hey, we need to capture this longer than 24 hours. Gotcha. And that's how, that's wheel how talk this was started. Born? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, that's how our friendship started for sure. Yeah. I feel like a lot of podcasts are like that. <laughs> yeah. Where they're like, we're just chilling, but we're talking about it's kind of lit. We'll make a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm, I am actually, I'm curious, what are you guys' thoughts on, on like Patreon? Cause I feel like my thought on Patreon is like, I think it's a great idea and I feel like I've given, I mean, this, 
I'll just say it. I, I feel like I've given a lot to the ceramics community, like especially with videos and tips and tricks. And we do this podcast and it's like right. all these things. And I'm like, man, it'd be great to get paid for this shit, you know? And like, yeah. but at the same time, I'm positive, 150% positive <laughs> that if I got a Patreon, I wouldn't do anything with it. So I I think in theory it's a great idea, and if you are a, an organized human being <laughs> like yourself, uh, <laughs> then it would work fine. Yeah, I th- I I have no like I'm not into the Patreon group. Like I'm not a patron of anyone, so I don't really know what it looks like. But I assume it's kind of like a whole pay to play kind of thing. And I don't know. For me, it just feels like another thing to do, like time wise. And it feels like gatekeeping too much to me. But I mean, I see kind of the same way as Becca. Like, I don't want to gatekeep information, but I do feel like we give a lot of information. I think ideally for us, like, if we were to get paid for something, we would like to have a sponsor for the podcast or something Mm. like that that would pay us a little bit for the information that we're giving. Yeah. Or, I mean, I get free stuff sometimes, too. Like, Speedball gives me free shit. Diamond Cores give me free shit. Like, I still get some stuff. I don't get money, per se, but I get, like, products sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But like the whole and that's why I don't recommend diamond cords because they haven't given me free shit yet. <laughs> Come on, diamond cords. You cord. hear this what diamond cord? Get it together. But the whole like, yeah, the like. Also, P.S. You can is, buy their shit is, on Amazon. You can buy shit on Amazon that's half the price. I'm. That's all I'm saying. You can. But then you're supporting you Amazon. Anyway. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the. I'm. Are there Patreon communities that like they get like one-on-one kind of thing and you get like a private yes like interaction and that's kind of how they uh, do the patreon side yeah. of it so my my patreon isn't too big but i constantly don't advertise my patreon personally the way i treat my patreon isn't kind of like in the context of gatekeeping like you had said it's more that i give out all the information i want to give out or that i can give out in fact and anyone who seems to like my personality or wants extra pictures of my artwork, even though I'm constantly posting anyway on public platforms, or they want extra videos that usually are not educational. They just, like, one of them was I went to the museum with a group of friends for, like, an hour, and it was an hour-long video of me walking to a museum. Mm. People are really paying for Patreon as far as that extra content and entertainment. As far as the education side, that's just free form for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's I really don't want to keep that from the art community at large. And the yeah. way I describe Patreon is like, it's OnlyFans for crafters. <laughs> it's like... Oh. Yeah, that makes sense. You already know what I have. You just want to see more of it. I'm not keeping it from you. You just want to <laughs> see more. Okay. I always tell people, you don't have to support me. I will still give you this information. Just people who want me to be a little more successful. Like my camera, this microphone, the probably the computer we're talking on right now quality by patreon like there are people who want to see me go up in quality and want to support me as an artist that's cool yeah see i can't even keep tiktok up so (laughs) it sounds like another one like pinterest instagram tiktok you're right in that it is another platform to post on it is like twitter instagram facebook youtube tiktok patreon (laughs) only fans like (laughs) you know you're right in that it is more work but realistically speaking, if I had to, like, Patreon takes care of me way more than YouTube does, and YouTube does pay me. Oh, nice. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that your Patreon was more, like, money that you're getting in the pocket than YouTube. Yeah, YouTube doesn't pay me very much. Can we can we, can we ask how much? Uh, YouTube pays me about 500 and that's when my channel's doing very well. I'm getting, like, one to 2,000 subscribers every month, and out of those one to 2,000, I pick up, like, 50 people a month who are constant. Like, they're like, I've clicked the bell next to subscribe. 
I'm looking for your videos every single month. I'm coming back. And of those videos, only three out of the four of them have ad revenue on them because I feel sometimes like I don't want to put ads on my videos. I feel like it would be a smoother transition and it doesn't, it interrupts the process. So I take the ads off sometimes. So I'm not, I'm not like money. I'm more like <clears throat> education first, but if I can get money to up that quality of education, like if you were to fund a school for better books, then I would like that. That'd be tight. And the Patreon is like double that uh, or is it triple that? It's almost double that. No, it's not triple. No, I don't push my Patreon. I haven't talked about my Patreon for like a month. This is the first time I've done it on a podcast for quite some time. But I never mm. end a video with like, Patreon guys, remember, give me money. Like, I almost never Not that there's it. anything wrong with that, Dante. Not that because... I just don't push it. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I care far more about the authenticity of my community than I do getting money from my community, you know? Right. Not to yeah. say that you can't get money from your community and also be authentic. Right, no, that's <laughs> not, yeah, no. I agree with Lindsay, I just don't uh, do it on purpose. Yeah, my community, uh, you know what's funny is that um, I had a friend in my store probably like a year ago and she was paid me something for something i don't know and then she like hands me a hundred dollars essentially and she goes do you always take money from your friends and i'm like yeah i do <laughs> yeah you know it, it's funny because like when you have a smaller community of people you become friends with that community and then they end up paying you money and, and it's like and i had to come to terms with that like had to be like okay am i okay with taking money from these people that I go to dinner with or, mm -hmm. you know, hang out with, like, have a house key so that I can watch their house. Like, am I okay with that? And it is interesting that, like, after a while, you kind of are like, well, I'm going to have to be okay with it. It sounds like she was trying to guilt trip you and to give her some free shit. Yeah, I thought you well, were, the way you were saying that, I thought shit, you were so. saying, like, mm -hmm. do you actually, like, give a discount to people that you know, like, giving you free stuff? That's what yeah. I thought when you said that. Sounds like she was <laughs> pulling some Karen on you. <laughs> yeah, and, and subsequently like people who are really your friends usually want to support you monetarily anyway like people who want to support me in that fashion don't often be like give me free stuff yeah usually when they're really down for you they're like i want to pay for it yeah friends don't let friends get discounts i have questions for them oh yeah i have one very specific question for both of you this is gonna be a curveball i got i got a feeling so you've both changed have you guys always lived you guys haven't always lived in the place that you live right now right not physically in this space, no. But you've made pottery in different areas of the world. Yes. Not world, but I mean, yeah. Okay. Do you find different dry times based on your geographical area? Oh, fuck yeah. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I've always been in Kentucky, so I feel like mine's pretty standard, but... I've been in California, Washington, and Indiana now. And then I grew up in Colorado. So California, I feel like, dried really quick. Because it's hot. It's not, it's, it is kind of humid, but it's not really not as humid. Um, in Washington, and it also depends on what, where you are in Washington. Like I was in a building and then when I lived in my house, I was in my, ba in my basement and my basement, I literally had to have a dehumidifier because it was so damp that nothing would dry. It would Your take entire basement was a damp box. To dry. Yeah, my yep. entire basement Jeez. was a damp box. So I had a dehumidifier that went into the sump pump. And that's how much liquid would come out of it. So, and then wow. being in Indiana, it's interesting because when I got here in January, it was pretty dry. And then now it's pretty, pretty humid. So we kind of looked at 
me, Ryan, and Rachel, actually, that's Ryan's wife, looked at the humidities of Washington versus Indiana, and they are pretty similar, but they don't act the same at all. Um, but, like, right now, when we are doing pots at Graves Co., um, they're taking, like, a day to two days to dry. At the beginning, when I was here in January, they were taking, like, they would dry in a day. So, wow. yeah. And then, you know, if I was in Colorado, I guarantee you they'd be dry. At, like, it'd be more similar to California, but actually drier. Tapping on to that, I feel like the people miss, no, they underestimate the power of, of airflow. And so humidity has a lot to do with the drying temperature and everything like that. But airflow actually has way more to do that. So like I had a friend in London who messaged me and she's like, my pots aren't drying. They're taking four days. And I was like, leave the door open, put a fan on it at night. And she was like, oh, the next day she was like, oh my God, they're all dry now. So Humidity does, and, like, location does have a lot to do with it, but also airflow has more to do with it. The reason that I ask you is because so many people ask me, like, how like how long does it take my pottery to dry? And I'm always telling them, like, it's really based on where you live, how hot it is, how humid it is, and what type of clay you have. You have to do the work to figure that out for yourself. And I, since I heard that you've moved so many different places, I was like, she can confirm this for me. <laughs> I'm not crazy. It has way more to do with humidity than it does the heat in your area. It's just that heat and humidity seem to have a correlation to some degree. Like in Japan, in the summer, they it rains, so it takes forever in their summer to dry their pottery. What I would recommend to anybody is just to, to make... So, like, at work, we have damp boxes, but we have, like, large damp boxes. So we make shelves, and then we hang shower curtains that have glass beads in the bottom, and those shower curtains lean up against the shelves, and so there's no airflow that comes into the shelf. Like, my boss even has, like, humidity, like, readers in the shelf just to make sure that they're kind of all consistent. So that's a way to, like, make sure that everything's consistent wherever you are, wherever you travel. How has it been, like, transitioning, for, at least from what I understand, Becca, the, the job that you have right now is, you've only had it for a few months, right? Yeah, since January, like, 12th. How has that been? Like, do you still find that you're able to make your own, like, personal work the way that you want to? Because I know you, you would also, you're kind of, like, transitioning your style a little bit more at the same time. So how has that been, like, balancing yeah, this new job? Yeah. <laughs> It's funny because my my whole journey has been like high production, mid-production, and now we're back to high production. (laughs) So when I owned the studio, I was doing probably like in the summers, probably like 50 to 100 pieces a week and then maybe more. And then, you know, like doing shows every weekend and... But before that, I was doing high, high, high production. And then now I'm doing 100 pieces, 150 pieces a day. But I don't have to touch it after that. Yeah. Right, you just throw it and go. On, well, except for on Tuesdays. On Tuesdays, I trim. That's why I'm tired today. But yeah, it's it's been it's been fine because I work for one of my best friends. You know, Rebecca is one of my best friends. So it's been... <laughs> you know, like, you know when you're, like, after college and you're like, I'm never having a roommate that's a friend ever again. And, um, <laughs> and I've always been like, yeah, <laughs> right? And I've always been like, I don't want to work for a friend, but we're both adults and we have good boundaries. And, yeah, it's been good. I am, I am exhausted pretty much all the time, but that's also got a lot to do with, like, some different health stuff that's going on. Yeah, I ha- completely burned out from regular pottery 100 percent. so it was not a healthy lifestyle that it was leading in 2020 and before so when i changed like when i came here i do have my own studio with a friend and i have that set up 
and I'm doing some tests, but I'm not rushing it because I'm like a classic atypical workaholic. So my gut and my bones is like, get into the studio, like you lazy piece of shit. And like, (laughs) and that's me. But so now, (laughs) yeah, that's Ryan to a T. Um, (laughs) And so now I'm, I've kind of like given myself some time and like given myself space to like be present and be okay with my surroundings and where I'm at right now. And I feel like I'm finally getting back to that. And I, I also don't have a kiln, which has really made this a lot easier because <laughs> that decides um, for you. <laughs> if I had a kiln, yeah. I'd probably be working. But my kiln is on back order, and it'll be here at the end of April. So that's still you have it on order, so that's good. What are you What are you going for? Cone art, cone ten, cone art, uh, twenty three, twenty seven, I believe. Not as big as right. I would prefer, but it just didn't work out electrical wise. So yeah, so that's been that's been easy, and I'm I, like I feel like it's been really good that I haven't gotten the kiln because now I'm like okay, I'm ready. Like I'm ready to like get going and to like kind of get yeah. back to this. So so it was if I'm understanding you correctly, it was kind of like the burnt out was coming from you focusing on making a bunch of your own work, selling a bunch of your own work. And is is the relief that you're feeling now kind of more from the fact that you are not having, like you're working for Rebecca? Uh, and that you're not having to make as much of your own work? Is that, if I'm understanding you correctly? Or? No, not necessarily. The burnout was actually from a money-driven outlook as oh. opposed to a creativity driven outlook or not even creativity but like what I actually like to do so when I was at my studio it was all about it was all about how do we make rent how do we pay the bills um how much money can I get into the door because I don't want to be in debt how can I pay off this debt Mm. (laughs) you know so I'm running classes, I'm running members, I'm running paint your own pottery, and I'm also running my own production. And that's Damn. three too many things. Okay, so that is... Facts. It was so much, like, I shouldn't have been doing that. And I did that for three years straight, you know, so that is something that I should have never even considered, but it just kind of like evolved, you know, and I think that that's why we always talk about make sure you have a plan for when you start, Mm. make sure you stick to that plan and make sure you not even stick to it, but make sure you have a goal for what makes you happy and what makes you satisfied with life. Because if you move away from that, and if you start thinking about money more than you start thinking about how your mental health is and how you are, then that's gonna affect what you're doing preach yeah and so (laughs) so like in the long run like i love to throw pots like i like to sit down listen to like music or listen to like 15 podcasts and throw 150 pots a day like i hate trimming i hate glazing i hate marketing i hate all of that Mm. stuff so if i would have just kind of gone that direction in the first place i think i would have been better off in the long run which you kind of started working in a production studio with bruning right so you kind of started there and then you went off and made your own stuff after you got a big order yeah so i got an order with starbucks and then i and then i kind of like went off on my own because Mm -hmm. the guy that i was taking classes from was like i think you're making too much stuff and i was like bye (laughs) um Uh so oh yeah that's how it starts Every teacher I've ever been was like, I'm not a production studio. And I'm like, well, I am. (laughs) So goodbye. Yeah, and I mean, like, they were, they are a production studio, so, and they could have, well, it was funny is that he told me that, and his wife was like, no. (laughs) His his wife came up to me, and she's like, you can stay however long you want. (laughs) But, um... But yeah, so it just, it escalated so quickly and we say yes to things that we don't think through 
And sometimes it turns out great and sometimes it doesn't. And in this case, it wasn't super great. It was, but it wasn't. Like, I wouldn't trade it, but I don't think I'd do it again. It wasn't ideal, rather. Yeah, like, I made so many great connections and so many good people connections that I will cherish forever. And I loved every moment of that, but it was it was just really tough on me mentally. Because so. the main need you had from moving out of the, the home studio to that was space. Yeah. So if you found a space that was kind of in between there that you could have kept up and kind of did your own thing without needing to do classes oh. and paint your own pot, for instance, then you would have been a lot happier from... Yeah what I gathered from just our discussions, yeah. you know. And honestly, I would have been still doing it if COVID hadn't, hadn't come along. So the only reason that I stopped, like I would have been going. I would have been fine. Well, not really, but I would have been going. Not fine. but just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but COVID stopped and I remember sitting in my car. I was bawling and I texted my best friend and I said, I hate what I'm doing right now. And I was like, I want to leave. I want to go work for Rebecca because I just visited Rebecca's studio maybe a month ago, prior. And he goes, just set a date, please. <laughs> oh, <laughs> He's wow. like, I don't care what you do. Just set a date yeah. and like stick to it. Yeah. And so I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done anything, but I stopped working because of COVID. And I was like, oh my God, I like my life so much better. I hate working where I'm working right now, like doing what I'm doing. And it was just like a light bulb moment. And so, yeah. I feel like I just went through a whole anime. (laughs) (laughs) Like from from like beginning to end. This anime is dope. Oh my God. I know it's true. I just hearing hearing you talk about it. I just heard the origin story. (laughs) That was dope. And the main character like got out of their life they never wanted. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The protagonist. (laughs) I have a question for you all then since you mentioned anime. You all mentioned the anime conventions and stuff like that that you sell at. Like, what is that world? Becca and I know nothing about this world. You all talk about it at like getting tables and stuff. You know a little. I know like Pokemon and that's it. But I know a little. I mean, I'm an I'm an initial D kid, so well, how much do they want to be freaked out? Oh my gosh, it's it's like church for nerds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, the anime conventions are like it, it's really a cultural standard where it's like everyone like if I walk out in the middle of the street and I and I sing like an anime theme song, no one's gonna know what I'm talking about. But at an anime convention, they finish the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, like you can start the Pokemon theme song, and somebody you'll get at least three people. Yeah. standing next to you, singing in it with you. Okay. Is that how you guys met? Because we never actually talked about how you guys met. Yeah, how do y'all know each other? Um, her boyfriend tracked me down. <laughs> it sounds worse. It sounds worse than it is. I was at an anime convention. Evidently, Lindsay had been scoping me out online or, or something to that degree. Like, I think you saw my table once or something. See, I think so. I think it was, like, at Fanime, and I was like, holy shit, it's a nerdy dude doing ceramics. But right. I don't think, I think I was, like, too nervous to go talk to you or something. Yeah, I think how you long were, yeah. Wait, how long ago was this? How many years are we talking? 2012? Okay. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah, this was 2012, because uh, it was, I was still in college, and I was, so I went to UC Santa Cruz, and I think the first time I ever went to Fanime, I think was in my sophomore year, and I saw... Dante just briefly and but then later at Sac Anime which happens here in Sacramento Cody was yes. like hey Lindsay you got to check out this Dante dude why don't they call it Sacame Sacame that sounds so much better <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we got to talk to their PR people I don't know why now I'm angry about it 
Well, that's in between Fanime and Sack Anime. I, 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 I gather that you had talked to each other. Mm-hmm. At least, like, one of you saw me and talked about it. And Cody, having, like, the giant balls he has, came directly up to my table and was like, my girlfriend also likes ceramics. Her name's Lindsay. She's right over there, but she was too nervous to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember Cody coming up to me later and being like, hey, I talked. I finally talked to this yeah. Dante guy. And, like, here's his business card. You guys should get in contact. Yeah. And then I think oh. it was that next sack anime yeah. where we actually started talking. Yeah, I think you're and right. Then, and then there was the urn incident. <laughs> oh, no. Did somebody make an urn? I made this. Well, I no. So I made. It was my first time experimenting with, like, pure Japanese, like, hoggy porcelain. And so I made, like, this egg shape. But it looked. It was so round and it enclosed at the top that people mistake, mistook it for an urn. Yeah, because. So, <laughs> Because what happened is, um, so it was one of the first few times that Dante and I had, like, actually gotten together in person to, like, hang out. Yeah. And we were like, oh, like, where should we go? So we went, we went to get coffee, and then we ended up going to this Irish pub called De Vere's, and, like, I'm dressed in black, Dante's dressed in black, he has this urn-looking thing, and we're at an (laughs) Irish pub, and the waiter comes over, and he's like, he's, like, like, all happy at first, and then he looks at the table, and then he, like, sombers, and he goes, he's like, so who are we celebrating today? And we're like, uh, nobody. (laughs) And he's like, oh, but isn't that, and we're like, no! No! With exaggerated, like, I still gun. have it. Yes, I still have it. It's Sit a picture of us, table. like, <laughs> <laughs> constipated oh sad face. Constipated sad face. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, I wish I still fantastic. had that. That's fantastic. Oh, it's such a good piece. But yeah. So a couple. We eventually, like, I don't know. I met up for coffee more. You invited me to do your uh, pot smashing day. I cherry then... picked the hell out of you. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. I've told you this before, like Lindsay. So. I want to say maybe like a couple months after that, there was a show at the Blue, maybe even a year, a show at the Blue Line Art Gallery. And I saw this piece that was one of her, for lack of a better term, like her creations, her like sculptures. Creature, yeah, because I do creature sculptures in addition to the more right. like mugs, nerdy mugs that I make. So Yeah, and it had won an award and I looked at it and I was like, I like that shit. <laughs> and then I saw the name on it and I was like, yeah, I need her on my team. <laughs> yep, and that was it. And I've just, uh, she's just allowed me to be around here from like that point on. Yeah, he brings, he brings me boba. That's how our, you know, that's the trade. That's no. how I work. <laughs> People are nice to me and they give me food and then I just don't leave them. Uh, I had, I had a follow up to the anime thing. How much is like a table there that you're paying for? And like, what is like a good sales day look like? Cause that's the majority of the sales that you all have talked about on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Are those the yeah. main venues that you go through in person for sales? Lindsay, like what, what's the most you may, you have ever made at Fanime in a day? I have a very definitive, like, I have a very clear memory of that. Yeah, so, okay, so the table the table fees range between, like, I think the lowest that I paid was 150 for the weekend, yeah. which is really not bad. Not at all. And then I think it's it's mm-hmm. it's between, like, 150 and, like, 200. And those okay. are three days, t- typically? Like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Three days, yeah. yeah. So the fee is between 150 and 200. And over the weekend, I think the most I pulled in over a weekend was 3500 And then a, I think Saturday was my busiest day. And I want to say I made like 1500 Yeah. that day. Nice. You're kind of working off volume because there's so many thousands of people that go to that, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. It's, it's just maximum exposure. It's just you're in an aisle with constant people. Mm-hmm. And it's nice because like you're in an environment where like 
people have already paid to get in, yeah. so they're not necessarily just browsing. And also, there's not very many nerdy ceramic artists who are at these anime conventions. Yeah. And then, like, I know from being a con-goer that it's like, you go in there ready to just empty your wallet, you know? So it's like the... You go look for, like, a, a specific <laughs> thing most of the time. And if you have an artist you like and you go back to that convention, you're like, I'm looking for Lindsay. Mm-hmm. I have... 50 bucks, I, I yeah. need to be here. I'm looking for Lindsay. What kind of peers do you have there with tables? Is it a lot of other art artists, like making printmaking stuff and like graphic artists and stuff like that? Yeah, there's been, over the last couple years, I feel like there's been more people doing more 3D art. Ten, you know, sometimes you'll have folks making like soap sometimes, you'll have folks making like bags, you'll have clothes. Oh, nice. Yeah, things like that. But most of the art, I would say, is probably... Uh, is print but what's nice is that they have they have like a um they have like the artist alley and then they have the vendor hall yes the vendor hall the bright side of that is that if you you can you can pay like you get a bigger space you can pay ahead of time because the artist alley is kind of like on a lottery system so it's like you may get in or you may not if it depending if it's like lottery or if it's like a juried thing yeah but like artist alley is generally for like smaller artists yeah. like you know like us who make you know who aren't like big like manufacturers yeah so they really highlight handmade yeah. artwork or like smaller artists in this artist alley in the conventions which is really right. nice yeah agreed and it's also awesome because you don't have to really compete with like the action not production work in the sense that we have production work but i mean production work as in like mass produced mass produced like hoodies like pikachu mugs that have been made by an actual machine that are made mm. from like low fire stuff like that yeah you don't have to compete with that you'd be surprised how many things are actually made by a machine in china there's not, oh, in, yeah. cer- in the ceramics world, it's actually, no, 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 it's actually not as many, like, they use jiggers, but, well, mostly, I know this because my brother, not my brother, my, my best friend is a, um, he imports from China, and oh. he does ceramics, and he imports ceramics, which is hilarious, but I was the <laughs> one that helped him get cone 10 instead of cone 04. But yeah, like they all they all use like jiggers and stuff. It's interesting. It's very interesting. I never really knew that about the the China sector of ceramics. Anyway, um Dante, what was your most day? What was your most highest day? I think I made 2Gs and it was on my last day. What nice. usually happens is like Friday, you start off and the real con goers, like the people who are looking for you specifically are coming for you. It's yeah. Friday. I know you're at this convention. I'm looking for you. I found you. I know where you are. I followed your social media, all that. I came for the product that I want before everybody else gets it. Yeah. Saturday is kind of the in-between stage where the latecomers who follow your stuff come or people who just go buy your stuff and don't know about you will often be attracted to it. Sunday is when all those people who have seen you are like, this is the last day. Mm-hmm. I need to get it before he goes. The timeline is four o'clock on a Sunday and it's two o'clock. Either we're buying or we're out. Like, it's make or break decision time. And so usually, (laughs) I remember my very first table at Fanime, I sold all my cups for like 10 bucks, 15 bucks. Oh my god. I remember you telling me about that. And I still made like $1,500 in a weekend. I did that at a a garage sale. Yeah. Yeah, because when you first start out, you're like, I just want this out so I can make more stuff. I want more money to make more stuff. Yeah. And then as I kept going, I kept raising the prices and... Now I think it's like $25, $28 a mug if I'm in person, if it's not sold on my website. But yeah, at the time it was like $25 a mug. And at the very last moment, people were just buying anything that was blue because people would be like that. Are those tables normally like a six foot table or is it like a 10 by 10 booth or what? It's like six by like five or six by four. Like it's like four and then like six. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The biggest table I've ever had is like six by six. 
usually I have a cart or whatever I tote underneath the table. Whenever somebody buys something, I put more up there. So I'm just constantly yeah. doing yeah. work. Yeah, it also depends on the the space that you get because regular artist alley spaces are like the size that Dante was talking about, but um, sometimes they'll have a specific section within artist alley called indie zone which i go to sometimes which is like if you are making original designs not uh not just like fan art and those will be like more like a 10 by 10 Mm. so those can be a little bit bigger but for most the most part that's the that's the size the magical thing is when they don't give you a table size and they say you have to provide your own table that to me is like oh you're new at this i'm bringing the biggest table because it wasn't in the contract and that's your fault yeah bring an eight foot table or something like that why is your table 10 by 10 why didn't you specify a table? If you provided me with a table and a chair, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> <laughs> what events do you guys find the most like success at? Because I kind of got the sense that you guys were doing events like more frequently. Because I mean, I only back when we could go to conventions, I only went to like maybe three conventions a year or something like that. But what do you what do you guys find like your like your good a good market for your for y'all's work? I enjoy selling in person the most, which is a lot of like monthly markets, a lot of like arts and craft kind of shows. So it's a lot of other. There could be like macrame artists or painting or photography or something like that. Or like kind of indie sort of markets where there might be soaps or like Mm -hmm. honey, things like that, that are local. Those are typically like not juried. They're more like give us your website and your social media and you're paying maybe 80 bucks for the booth, maybe 90 bucks. So it's usually Mm -hmm. less than 100 and it's typically one day. They have it the first weekend every month or the third weekend every month. And then I kind of like sign up for three or like three of those throughout the season or the other Mm -hmm. show that's the third weekend. I might do like two of those throughout the season if I'm not selling another one. And then I'll usually sign up for like juried shows like the Berea Craft Festival, which is in Kentucky, which I'll be doing this year, hopefully. And those are like two or three day shows that are art shows. They're juried. You probably go into like Zapplication and fill out an application for it and sign up. And the booth is probably, Mm. you know, 200 bucks plus the 25 to $40 application fee. I've been doing a lot of like one day shows because I like to just get there in the morning, set up, do it all, sell, and then tear down at the end and go home. But I'll be doing a, a few more like two day ones, but I did a lot of farmers markets last year because of COVID. So you know I was still able to sell at twenty four shows, but you know half of those were farmers markets. Farmers markets are underestimated, I think. Yeah, you pay twenty five bucks for the booth, and you like I was selling five or six hundred bucks for a twenty five dollar booth. Like that was worth it for oh, me shit. for four oh, yeah. hours. If you did a Davis farmers market, you'd fucking kill it. <sighs> you think so? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think so. Because Davis is like a small community, you know, like, and Sacramento's a little bit bigger. But, you know, you could get into, like, the middle of Sacramento, yeah. you know. They do have booths in the middle yeah. of Sacramento. But now that you say Davis, my... It's weird because I'm from California and other states consider us hippies. But when you say Davis, I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, man, they would, they would love it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, like, the only thing that you'd be competing with is the other potters. So you'd have to kind of, like, figure that out. But the advantage to farmer's markets, I feel like, are that they're, like, the small community. But the disadvantage is that farmer's markets are usually traveled by the same occupancy every week. So, like, especially if if you're in a small community. If you're in a larger community, it may be different. But definitely, you know, when you are in, like 
small town Snohomish, Washington, everybody that goes to that farmer's market is going to be the same person that went to it last week. So like I would always go pretty random to farmer's markets. The market that I do, it's not a farmer's market. It is an art show. So it's an outside art show that um, Leavenworth, Washington puts on. Leavenworth is a tourist community and so it's basically a Bavarian style city. So everything in the city, everything in the town is Bavarian style. So there's a lot of brats, there's a lot of beer, there's a lot of like tourists, you know, it's like Estes Park. It's kind of like Big Bear, you know, that kind of situation. So mm-hmm. anyway, so this is the show that I've been doing and I'm, I'm still considering whether I'll be doing it next year or not. I won't be doing it this year, but um, traditionally I've done Leavenworth Art in the Park, which goes from May 1st to October, the end of October, which is Oktoberfest. Uh, and that's every single weekend, Friday through Saturday, except for June and July, which is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot. It's twenty five dollars for a booth, and then they take twenty percent, and it's the central checkout. So there's about twenty um, vendors, and everybody gets a ten by twenty booth. Oh, that's nice. Damn, it's super nice. So that's kind of what I've all. That's what I've been doing. I started at like different smaller like shows and stuff, and eventually just ended up on Leavenworth just because I was an hour and a half away. It was easy, you know, and it's very consistent. And with that, I can make like twenty to twenty five thousand a a summer, nice. like doing that. But but you have to have work as well every week, right? Yeah, that that's yeah. like what I'm so curious about because it's like, how do you keep up with that? Because like a couple of years ago, when I tried to do a bunch of shows, like I literally was unloading kilns the night before. Yeah, and like if I if that kiln load had fucked up, I would have had no work. So how do you how do you navigate that? So my my schedule. <laughs> Ryan knows this, but my schedule for for summers are okay. Get home from the show Sunday night. On Sunday night, potentially if I'm awake enough, I will throw about fifty to sixty pieces, and the next day I'll throw about you know fifty to sixty pieces, and then I'll finish those pieces by Wednesday. I'll have them in the kiln by Wednesday night. I'll bisque them Wednesday night. I'll pull them out Thursday morning. I'll glaze them Thursday. Um, well, Thursday midday, I will fire them Thursday. I'll pull them out Friday morning at 5 a.m. I will pack them up into my car, drive to Leavenworth, get there at 7.30, and then I do my show, and then I come back on Sunday, and then I do the same thing all over again. Holy shit, you're a badass. Oh, my God. That's so down to the wire. Oh, my God. I would, I, like, I'm getting anxiety just thinking about that, but holy shit, that's intense. I can't tell you how many times, and this is like, okay, so... Pre when I had nice kilns that actually had thermocouples that had digital readings. Oh, (laughs) she just had the sitter. I was firing in my house on my front porch and I remember sitting on my front porch Googling and I swear to you, I've read the same forum 50 times. How how soon can you unload your kiln? Because I would be texting Mary, who is the the like head, and I'd be like, I'm gonna be late. And I'm at like 450 and I'm pulling pots at like 400 degrees. They're still warm when I get to Shit. Leavenworth. Mad lad. Oh my god. What is okay, what is the answer to that? When can you unload it's them? It's 200 degrees. No, it's not. Is it? Bullshit. <laughs> what can, is it? No, what is it? Because I've heard that like thermal shock your glaze matrix, I say. <laughs> nope, nope. It's thermal already shock. gone through thermal shock. So I've unloaded a, a kiln at 400 degrees, no problem. Oh the, my god. 
No problem. The thing that you actually have to be concerned about is your kiln. It's not necessarily the pots. If you have glazes that fit your clay correctly, and after they've kind of gone through all the thermal shock situations, they're going to be fine. Bigger pieces, I'd be more concerned about that. But what you have to be concerned about is when you lift up your kiln lid, whether it's going to crack. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you lift it up and you hear it, right? Yeah. Like, Just and put it back down. <laughs> <laughs> put it back down. Put it back down. Yeah. It's a thermal so shock on the kiln no. itself. Yeah. So it's By more crack, about it it's more about your kilns than about your pots because if your pots are going to be dunting in the future, they're going to be dunting regardless. So right. like you know when you have an old shitty kiln, like who fucking cares? Like open up the kiln at four hundred, pull them out. But yeah, I mean it's you know like that was a crazy at, timeline. <laughs> I, I remember talking with you while you were doing this, and it was ridiculous. I kind of miss those days, honestly. Crazy. So Ryan, is that what you have to look forward to when you uh, eventually go to a full time? What's your What's your plan? No, I'm a very I'm a very big planner. Like right now, I probably have 400 pots that are finished in my studio that are just sitting on shelves, and I'm still worried about not having enough pots. So that's my brain. I need to find better ways of selling it, but I'm definitely a planner. I mean, if you see any of my stories or whatever in the studio, like you can see shelves of bisqueware yeah. and shelves full of finished ware, like. I have no shortage of pots. It's a challenge for me to continually figure out where's the demand at? What do I need to spend my time doing? As well as just like right now I'm going through fulfilling these orders to like restock some local studios for their inventory and what they need for the spring. So like that's kind of a thing that I'm trying to figure out as well as, you know, having stuff to restock on the Etsy shop or whatever and balancing out. I want to like feed the online group of people to buy stuff. And, like, I want to feed my galleries so they don't get mad at me for taking, like, four months to deliver something. And then I got to fulfill these custom orders that I committed to. And then, Damn, you know. That's, that's a that's a lot to balance. Like, how much, tough. like, right now, like, what's the, like, rough percentage breakup between, like, the deliveries and to the gallery? And for the galleries, is that, like, wholesale or is that consignment? Uh, most of it's consignment. I'm not really, I, I have, like, one wholesale right now that I'm working on. But that's smaller. It's, like, 18 mugs or something. But. So you're like married up to a consignment. Is it one or many? Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I got into the consignment game like two or three years ago. And I was like, yeah, my my goal is to just reach out to a bunch of galleries that I like admire and I like locally that my stuff would fit well in. And you reach out, you yeah. make that connection. You fill out the application. You go meet with them. You show them your stuff. And then you like get your foot in the door sales start going kind of slowly you don't really sell that much and then over time they grow and now i get a check almost monthly from most of these galleries so you know that's where like it's easy as long as i deliver stuff they can sell it and i'm usually getting a 60 percent cut of that so but i am like having to draw the line of like what i can consign you know like the carved stuff i don't consign almost any of my carved stuff because it's just not worth it financially to do that because i can't keep up with the demand one-on-one with people whether it's at a show or online or whatever. So like, I just kind of have to draw that line and say, this is what I can commit to. This is the stuff that I can deliver. And then I'm finding this year, like I'm having to raise my prices on stuff, taking that to the, the galleries too. Good for you on making that adjustment. Cause yeah, it's, it's hard to balance that financial picture. And especially for like the goals that you have set, like, honestly, you're, you're talking about having that hundred thousand dollar financial like goal set. I'm like, damn, I need to raise my expectations. Yeah, Lindsay and I are over here like, <laughs> We never put a price. <laughs> We're just kind of like doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I never really set like 
firm financial <laughs> goals for myself. Yeah. In terms and like that. I mean like every I feel like every year I kind of focus on something different. But so I have like goals set, but not necessarily like specific financial goals set. I more so just go like Yeah. Why not throw a number up on the board? Throw it up there, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Well after you guys talking about it I will. You know what my favorite thing about Ryan is is that he's like the cheapest son of a bitch I have ever met in my life. <laughs> But he has, like, the highest financial goals, which makes me, like, love you so much more, by the way. I just, (laughs) like, he's like, no, I won't spend $3 on toothpaste, but I want to be paid $100,000. Like... I didn't hear what you first said about toothpaste, but I heard the hundred. I said no. I'm not gonna spend three dollars on toothpaste. Like, that's you. <laughs> I don't know that I said no that. No joke but... though. I I buy like the one like the ninety nine cent dental floss, and my boyfriend's looking at me like Lindsay. The nicer stuff is like two dollars. I'm like no, it's too expensive. I am not paying more money to put string in between my teeth. It's... That's what I love about you, Ryan. Well, thank you. I don't I don't mind being called a cheap ass by my mother or you on the podcast. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it enough. I'm fine with it. Hey, honestly, it's, it's like, out of love. It's it's good. I think it's a good thing. Like I feel like because it's because like, I feel like if you can be a cheap ass in some areas, you get to splurge in the areas that you actually care about. And if you don't care oh, yeah. about buying nice toothpaste, who gives a shit? My car you know? looks nice. You know my car looks yeah. nice because I don't be spending on beer every day. <laughs> and see me, I'd rather spend the money on the beer. Yeah. <laughs> for me, for me, if I'm not wearing it or eating it, I don't pay for it. Who is a dream person that you'd want to interview on Mud Peddlers? Does it have to be a, like? Is it just a ceramics person or like an any and any person? No, it could be anybody. Yeah, anybody. I want to interview Guillermo del Toro because he's one of my patron saints. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro, the the the, yeah. uh, the film oh. director. Yeah, he did Pan's Labyrinth and uh, the Orphanage and Hellboy and yeah. I would want to interview well, him because he's like like his artistic style and the way that he brings like dark fantasy to life in these yeah. really rich complex ways that like source from modern visual culture of creatures but also like delves in this into this rich history of like traditional art and that combination just like does things for my brain yeah so that's what i would do <laughs> that's who i'd interview <laughs> it, that's a difficult question for me because personally i'm a it's weird because i'm a, like a bit antisocial, but at the same time i really want to make like youtube friends and whatnot you know like with you guys i was excited to be here because i'm like more potters to get along with right because there's a subset that goes like they're already part of the culture that i'm already indoctrinated into which is pottery of course or clay culture Mm -hmm. but the newest person in my site has been seth rogan Mm. he yeah he's not recently become a potter but he's become larger in the stratosphere of, of potter and ceramic culture and I, I really want to sit down and be like, how? How did you become a pothead figuratively and literally? <laughs> I think I'm more interested than I am awestruck. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd be more interested to, like, actually hang out with him and talk to him as one-on-one than I would be to, like, want to actually do it for Mud Peddlers. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm massively curious about him. Yeah. yeah. What, what, about, what about you guys? Yeah. Like, if you could have a dream guest on... Uh... On wheel talk. Flipping the script. Yes. <laughs> I'll I'll go because I know he's gonna have time to think about this. I feel like my dream guest is also gonna become a reality pretty soon, but I think you're gonna say the same thing that I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Leanne from Elon Pottery is mine because she's like she, is that, that was yours mine too? as soon as you started saying that I was like, damn it. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> 
We have, but we have different reasons. We have different reasons. My reason is because she's, she's the one potter that's really like spread her wings to not only importing from other people within the United States and selling that product, but also importing from China with her coffee pour overs. And I really am so interested in how she's like built her thing. And I also want to know like if she hates her life or if she loves her life. Like, you know, like I I also want to know if she's like maxed out. You know, because I'm really curious about people and how they I like cynically, cynically, like think that people actually secretly all hate their lives. And um, and I want to know why. Like, I just I, I just she seems so interesting to talk to. And she's done so much in the ceramics community. And I, I feel like that's really cool. Ryan. Yeah, mine was similar. I want to see how she balances her all of her duties and like how does she get a team around her that can keep the train on the tracks and still share stuff about like being excited about getting her her greenhouse that's like down the hill and doing projects for that that's on her property and like you know the new place she's got at the beach now which i got a feeling that was related to like getting away from the studio during the weekends and so proud of her for that and also being a mother (laughs) and like balancing the different businesses of the pens and the transfers and the pottery and how she can keep up with all the restocks and it's just nuts like that's where i would want to see how she can balance it all (laughs) just to see how these monsters like hunt in the middle yeah like how does the wolf hunt is my question yeah (laughs) because the dogs are very impressed yeah oh okay let's do one last question and let's say who you're like who is like a ceramic artist that you or a potter that you idolize and that is like one of your faves mine is just my teacher that is now retired but who is that he taught me everything i knew yoshio taylor he's just i went to college and he like taught me everything i know like he's the only teacher i've ever had everything else is just development from what i see online or my own like experimentation i think my dream one day is to like make it to a stratosphere of pottery or, or a hierarchy of pottery on the on the list and be like look what you have done and for him to be proud of me to a certain degree yeah you know i think that's one of my main goals yeah i think i would probably like i don't know this feels like a like like an almost obvious answer but like i think mike Sinelli is an artist who really stands out for me because I always really struggled with surface decoration with my functional work because I came from a sculptural background. So I didn't know how to make my work interesting. And I feel like he was one of the artists that I first saw his work and was like, holy shit, like this, this is what I want to like that level, that layering. It just, I think his work really made an impact on like my conception of all that you could do with a, very functional piece. Um, he was also the first art mug that I ever bought. My first seventy dollar yeah. mug, you know, hundred dollar mug club. Mug. You never forget my first mug. I still have to repair it though because I dropped it. Don't tell him that part. He's I gonna know, hear it. I know. I'm sorry. He's gonna give you I another did. one. Oh my god, I would die. I would die, <laughs> and I would have to. I would have to make him a special mug and then send him one. Yeah. But yeah, no. We have to have a go around of like all the potters we know and be like mug trade. Yeah. Everybody yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys kind of do that, right? Don't you do a uh, like a mug swap, pot swap, pot yeah. swap, pot yeah. swap? Let us know. We'd love to be part of the next one if you that if would, you do it. That would be really fun. Sign up quickly. Yeah. It'll be this October. Ryan. Ryan. Who's who's your artist person? Yeah. Yeah. I want to know. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. I hate when you do this, Becca. <laughs> I don't want to be repetitive of what Just I always say, say on fine. this podcast, but speak your truth. 
Because uh, the Mud Peddlers people may not have heard right. it. <laughs> Church. All right, my go-to is always Kurt Hammerly because I like his process and I like his ability to do the glazes and the way he's like scaled his business in a safe manner and finding the demand, the trajectory he's had with the quitting the day job. Like it, that's kind of like the picture that I see and it's like what's possible and what you could do like completely debt-free. I really love that part of it that he's not taking super risky chances with the business part he's taking it steady but also like cautiously but he's also finding time to like experiment and do fun projects and see what happens so that's always my (laughs) go-to i hear that dante and i were literally just talking about uh about him like before before we hopped on with you guys because i was again just like watching his growth over the last even just couple years is just like yeah but knowing that he's doing all of that like debt free and everything is just yeah that's that's amazing. Oh, yeah. 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 Becca, what about you? Um, Mine is somebody probably no one's ever heard of is Anne Van Hooey. Oh, I just heard you talking about her on the last podcast that you guys did. Yeah, she's a potter in, I want to say she's in, it's either Amsterdam, Germany, or Sweden. And I'm not sure, but she takes colored clay and then puts them in a plaster form and like throws them in that form. And then she cuts them with scissors and then she folds them over and they are fucking phenomenal and i remember seeing her pieces like in 2014 and like googling how she did her process and all these things and i just it's so simplistic and it's so like but it's so elegant all at the same time and that's who i that's 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 it yeah there's always these tricks in the in the like upper ranges of pottery that you're like whoa how was that done and then you research it and you're like oh that was that's actually really simplistic. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, like bubble glaze? People are like, put soap in your glaze and blow bubbles. Ah, oh, that's duh. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And how do you make colored clay? You just mix mason stains with like uh, really white pure slip and it turns into clay over time. I knew that. But it's like <laughs> the skill to take that basic instruction and then, then execute it yes. well yeah. is a whole other thing. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. It has been so much fun chatting with you guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. Have us on anytime. We like this. This is cool. Yeah, we really appreciate you all spending time with us. I know the listeners will definitely appreciate it. Yeah, yeah no problem. Yeah, Thank you very much. Like we do got to get going, but we, <laughs> we like, I do got to get going, but I really yeah, do. Yeah, you got to go raid with your, yeah. with your Destiny group. <laughs> They're blowing me up. <laughs> so popular. They're like, yeah, you said 30 minutes. Gotta go game. 40 minutes ago. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll get going, Dante. We'll see you guys later. Thanks for having me. All right. Really great chatting with you guys. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Mud Peddlers with Lindsay M. Dillon. And Dante of Earth Nation. Want to say hi and see what Dante and I are working on in our studios? Check out the show notes for links to our websites and social media below. You can find me at lindsaymdillon.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-M as in monster, D-I-L-L-O-N.com. And on Etsy, Instagram, and Facebook at Lindsay M. Dillon. And you can find me at Earth Nation Ceramics. It's spelled exactly how you think it's spelled. But you can also find me on my Facebook fan page and Instagram at the same name at Earth Nation Ceramics. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today or you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss, take a second to rate and review The Mud Peddlers in Apple Podcasts. It helps our podcast reach new listeners, and we really appreciate the feedback. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time. That was so much fun. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry we ran so late. It's okay. It's okay. What time is it?